0: Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be. And uh, once you find it, go ahead and stand. Ephesians chapter 2. And when we stand, uh, we don't just do it because it's a, a tradition. We do it um, because if you read the Old Testament, especially in the book of Ezra, when they would open the scripture, the people would stand out of respect because it's God's word being read. And there are plenty of, of preachers that don't do that. And that's perfectly fine. It's just, you know, every, every preacher kind of lands where he's going to land. Just so you know why, why we do that, we do that deliberately and it's not Baptist tradition really, it's a church by church or a pastor by pastor uh, decision but that's why we do it and uh, we're going to try to respect God's word because everything we do is found in this book and our reasons for everything we do are right here. And the more I've read Paul's epistles in the last few weeks, we've been on Sunday mornings going through a series about the local church, and you're probably uh, wondering how long that's going to go. Well, I, I don't know for sure. Um, the more I read, the more I think, okay, I want to cover that next time. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we, what we've been doing. We'll eventually get to a series on the book of John, which I'm excited about on Sunday mornings, and the book of Exodus on Sunday nights. But I've kind of taken some time this summer to just present some things that I um, have been wanting to cover. And here's Paul writing to a local church. He has the local church in mind. Uh, He's writing to a group of people in a specific certain location. Okay, It's It's important for us to understand the context when we read this. He's not just writing a letter for all the believers everywhere to read. He is writing to a church in Ephesus with a pastor meeting in a certain place. And, and as I've been preaching, these are some verses that have come up many times in my preaching. And, and so because of that, I, I wanted to take a look at and deal with them um, because I do think that they're important to the idea of the local church. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, and we will begin reading just because uh, for context sake, verse 14, but our focus will be the last four verses of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 14, he's just talked about salvation and Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. So when he says, uh, brought two together in one body, and preached to those to you, he says, that were afar off. Just give me the category of people he's talking to when he says, you were afar off. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles. He says, he came and he preached to you who were far off, those that are Gentiles, those that were not included in, in the Israel, the Jewish family, those that were not part of that original nation. He preached to Gentiles and brought Gentiles into himself through Christ. He says, also then, verse 17, and to them that were nigh. That's the Jews. So he has brought the Gentiles, which most of us, I think, looking around the room most of us would fit into that category. That we are Gentiles, we're not Jewish by heritage, and but Jesus Christ in salvation has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. And if you're thankful for that, it's good to say amen to the thought like that. Verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers... And foreigners. Now, the word strangers would indicate more that you live in a different country. Foreigners would indicate more that you live in this country, but you're not a citizen quite yet. He says, to cover every category, strangers and foreigners, you were, you are no more strangers and foreigners. Now, though, you are fellow citizens with the saints... ...and of the household of God... ...and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets... ...Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone... ...in whom all the building fitly framed together... ...groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord... ...in whom ye also are builded together... ...for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. There's so much we could say, I'll just start by saying this... Salvation is an incredible thing. That Jesus Christ could die on a cross and reconcile every sinner that's ever lived from whatever country, whatever nation, whatever language. He died on a cross so that we could be reconciled to God. Listen, you've heard that before, but don't let it become commonplace. We are Gentiles. The Jews are God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And and Gentiles were supposed to be on the outside looking in, knocking on the door saying, hey, when can we come in? Well, God opened the door, but he didn't just open the door. And what Paul is saying here, he didn't just open the door and let you wander in. He opened the door and he put a seat for you at the family dinner table. That's how much God has committed to us as his children. And all he asks for us is to commit to him through his church. He commits eternity to us. He asks us to commit to him for a lifetime. And you say, well, that's a lot to ask unless you compare what you're doing for him to what he has done for you. When you think about the local church, then you have to say it's a question that we've often asked and we've looked at this. It's that, that God compares the local church to marriage. He compares it to the commitment required in marriage. And this applies to church as well. Are you committed for life? Are you committed for life? And you ought to be because God committed to you for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. pray that you bless the reading of your word. Meet with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As most of you know, a couple of weeks ago, our family was out of town. We went on ...vacation after a uh, you know, busy, uh, filled summer with ministry and things like that. We went to Estes Park, Colorado for uh, my folks. My parents, it's their 50th wedding anniversary. And I'm thankful for uh, their example in marriage. We had a great time up in the mountains. I love the mountains. And, uh, and, and we got to enjoy. We went into Estes Park and every day we saw animals. We did hiking. We went fishing um, and all of those things. It was just a great time together. And as I was there, though, at Estes Park, um, and uh, right there at the gate, the gateway to Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, which is a beautiful national park in our country, as I was there, uh, the idea, the thought kept coming to me. He said, man, I wish I had a house in Estes Park. (laughs) Maybe you've ever been to a place where you think, "Uh, if someone gave me a house, I guess I would take it right here. We have houses in Sioux Falls. We drive by and... And sometimes my wife and I was like, I guess if somebody gave me that house, I guess I would live in that house. You know, maybe, you know, we have those kinds of areas, those places. Estes Park is one of those kind of places. If you've been there, um, then, you know, and I mean, within the first few hours that we were there, we with the big three in terms of animals that you want to see. Uh, you want to see a moose and you want to see a bear and you want to see a bighorn sheep. We also wanted to see Bigfoot. That didn't happen But we saw those other three within the first three hours that we were there. We saw bighorn sheep. We saw bears. And we saw moose. And we could go to this certain pond every morning at the same time. And we could just literally sit and watch these moose play in the pond. And I was thinking, man, I wish I had a house here. Let's just say then that somebody was to walk up to me while I was on vacation. And, uh, you know, we're walking down the, the streets there of Estes Park and, and uh shopping or doing whatever and someone comes up to me says i really like your look i mean that happens all to me all the time obviously (laughs) i really like the i like your look you look like a sharp guy you look like a nice guy you look like a guy that could use a house in estes park well i'd say well sure i mean uh what are you asking if they said uh we're not asking anything we want to give you a house over here here's a house Right on the river, you got views of the mountains. We just want to give it to you. And obviously at that point, I would say, what's the catch? But let's say it was legitimate and somebody gave us a house up in the mountains. Um, if that's the case, uh, after, let's say then 20 years go by. And, let's, and you come back and maybe you've been away and you say, how's the house in Estes Park? And I would say something like this. Oh, I think it's Okay. And you say, oh, really, so, so um, uh, do you enjoy going? You say, yeah, no, we, we haven't gone much. How many times have you gone in the last 20 years? Oh, well, we've never really gone. And you think, you have a house, you have a place to go, you have a place to stay, a place to enjoy. Somebody gave it to you, and you've never gone. You say, well, yeah, it's enough for me that I own the house. Now, that would be silly, wouldn't it? I know it's a silly illustration. Um, But I do think it's an indicator of the mentality that a lot of people have when it comes to the local church. Meaning, in the mindset of a lot of people in today's culture, it's enough for them to have a church. It's even enough for them to say, well, we attend on Sunday mornings. But what we don't realize is is there's so much more available and there's so many more gifts and there's so much more to enjoy than just saying, I attend church. There's so many more benefits than just saying, I have a church. And if you can imagine having a resource, an asset, like a house in Estes Park and never using it, how much more to have ...an eternal gift from God, something that he has committed to his people... ...through the local church and making minimal use of that gift. You know, most believers view church as something they attend... ...and they look at church as something to cross off the list on Sunday mornings. And and I'm not here judging anybody that does that. I just, in my observations, have seen how that is a typical view... Of the local church for the modern believer. We attend. We have a place. We check it off the list. If we don't have conflicting plans. You know we go to church. And, and if we go we feel better about it. Because we've been able to say. That we've been to church. And if the music is good. That's a plus. And if the preaching is helpful or practical. That's just icing on the cake. But there are many that when it comes to church. It's an attendance thing. And as we've seen recently, we're at a point now in our country that fewer than half of Americans attend services weekly. For the first time in our history, as a country, we're less than 50% in weekly attendance. But we're just talking about attendance with that statistic. Of those that attend, how many could we say are highly committed? How many could we say are just committed? That number is much harder to land on. And so as I did some research, I found one poll from 2020 that indicated around 17% of those that attend weekly would be considered highly committed. And I think I'm not sure where that is in in a church like ours. I would say that our church, thankfully, that we have a higher percentage of those that would be highly committed. I'm grateful for that but that does go along with the percentages that you've heard if you've ever heard of the pareto principle the pareto principle is that 20% of those in the church do 80% of the work and that 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 applies not just in church that typically applies in a place like business and a workplace that'll apply in on a team it'll usually apply in any organization or institution that 20% of the people are the core that do 80% of the work. And 80% of the people that are there are kind of on the peripheral, just maybe watching or enjoying the fruits of the labor of those that are in the core. I would say that most believers, if that, listen, if that is your view of church, that you are good with attendance, then you have a limited or inadequate view of the local church. The second reason I think that believers have an inadequate view of the local church is this what's in it for me mindset, the WIIFM, what's in it for me. This is a marketing strategy, it's a sales strategy, it makes it all about the consumer to have a certain view about a product or service, but that has also spilled into the church. And that if you think about it, people really do shop for a church based on what will meet their needs and and how they feel when they go, they, they do it in the same way that they choose the place that they will, they will shop for their groceries. Now, my wife does our shopping for groceries. I don't even ask her her method, okay? I just know that she goes to Aldi for certain things first, right? And then what she doesn't get at Aldi, then she puts on her, her headgear and her, her, her pads and her face mask and goes to Walmart to brave the Walmart traffic. She, she goes to Aldi first, then she goes to Walmart, she gets these things at Aldi, then she gets these things at Walmart. That's her method of shopping. And I'm okay with that. If she wants to pick and choose where she goes so she can get the best deal and the place that she prefers and the place you can get parking that's less than a mile away, I mean, those are good things. But that mentality, what's in it for me, has spilled over now into church. If you like the services, you give the church your business. But if, if, it's not, if it's not up to snuff, if it's a boring service, if, if something is lacking, it's time to shop around. In other words, decisions aren't based solely on theology. They're not based on how God might be working. They're not based on doctrine. They're not based on the Great Commission. They're not based on something biblical. It's about how a person is made to feel. And that's not always an accurate measurement. Another way that people have an inadequate view of the church, and maybe you've heard this, I I said it in this series, I think it originated, I found out it originated from a guy, a writer named Josh Harris, that there are too many people dating the church. See, when you're dating a church, then you're primarily interested in what's in it for me and, and what's typically, that means then that it wouldn't take much for you to walk away from that because there's not much commitment in the first place. A dating relationship is a pretty easy relationship to cut ties with. Understand, anyone, though, that has been in church... And you might say, well, that gives me an out. In case something happens that I don't like, um, it gives me an opportunity to to be out, to cut and run. But I want you to think about this. Anyone that's ever been involved in a local church has been disappointed. If you've ever been part of a church, then you've probably been hurt. If you've ever been part of a church, then you've been frustrated... There are things about every church that probably all of us wish we could change. There are are people in every church that we don't always get along with. There are things that happen in a church that may not be your favorite. You may have been hurt. You may have been disappointed. You may have been frustrated. But I want you to think about this. When you compare the relationship or our mindset toward a church and how God says we should view the church. He says we should view the church like marriage. He combines those two analogies. And and if you think about this, if you've been married, you've been disappointed. Especially men, our wives, they've been disappointed. I dare not say that the husbands have been disappointed. Our wives, I mean, there are plenty of things that my wife... ...has been disappointed about in me. There are plenty of ways that I don't live up to her expectations. There are plenty of times where I've said things that hurt her. There are things that have frustrated her. There are things that have let her down. But listen, if you're committed to marriage, you're still married. And Jesus Christ then lays out our mindset toward the church... ...and he says, it is a marriage-level commitment... He loved the church and he gave himself for it. And he says in Ephesians 5 that husbands ought to love their wives in that way. He's the groom. We are the bride. Listen, if that's the level of commitment, then hurt or frustration don't automatically lead you to say, I'm out. We must understand that the local church deserves a marriage level commitment. And if you're wondering why it deserves that, I think Ephesians 2 It paints the picture for us. It's a local church letter to a local church, to a group of people in a specific location. And Paul uses this letter over and over to convince the church at Ephesus why they need a marriage level commitment. A lifelong level commitment. And here's some things that he gives. Truths that he gives for us to say, that deserves my commitment. Number one, he says, because your church represents God's kingdom. Your church represents God's kingdom. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, therefore, the first two words of that verse point back to the preceding truth, which we've covered recently. It's all about, again, how the Gentiles and the Jews have been reconciled through the cross. We're no more strangers. We're no more foreigners. Those are, those are citizenship Terms He is talking about your role in a nation. He's talking about how you fit in to God's kingdom. He uses the word fellow citizens as well. This is the kind of language then that you would use when you're referring to a country... ...that you would use when you're referring to a nation. And if you're a citizen of the United States, then you belong here. And, and when you, whether or not you were born here... ...if you've gone through the process of being a citizen... You have the rights of a citizen. You have the privileges of being a citizen. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. And we have folks here, and I hope you, know, I'm not saying those in derogatory ways. I'm using the scriptures language to say these things um, that you were born in a different country, but you've worked in the right way to come. And be part of the United States. And because of that, no one views you as a second class citizen. You are a citizen of the United States. And what Paul then is referring to is the kingdom of God. At one point, Israel alone, they were God's nation. They were God's people from Abraham until Jesus Christ. Israel was God's chosen kingdom. And they, they, by the way, they still matter to God. Don't let anybody tell you that God, when he placed Israel aside... ...he was done with them forever and now the church has replaced Israel. If you read your New Testament and you read it honestly... ...then you can't come to that conclusion. That God is still going to work with the nation of Israel... For this time, though, he has set them aside as his nation, and we are now in the church age. And by the way, we're in the church age. Gentiles and Jews alike can be part of the church. He has not said no Jews can come be a part of this church. No, he opens it up to everybody. So really, anybody can be part of the New Testament church. But now, though, what the language that he's using is that we can be citizens if we are in Jesus Christ. You can be part of God's kingdom. See, a church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It represents a kingdom on earth. And we may have been born elsewhere. And spiritually, we were. We were born. We were born away from God. We were not born near God. We were born as as sinners. and, And our sins separated us from God. But now... We have been brought in to the family as citizens, brought into the kingdom as natural-born legal citizens. Listen, may we never forget what we would be or where we would be had God not opened the doors to the kingdom. We were strangers. We were foreigners. We were outsiders. We had no hope of the kingdom but for the cross. But I'm thankful that Jesus' cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, is enough to bring anybody into the kingdom. See, here's where living in the kingdom as part of the kingdom, here's what it means. Okay, we now live under God's rule. See, we have an obligation as citizens to submit to the rule of God's kingship. Yes, we have privileges, but we also have responsibilities. Wouldn't you say that's true as a citizen of the United States? There are privileges that come along with being a citizen of the United States. But you also have certain responsibilities that you ought to fulfill because you are a citizen. There are certain things that you ought to do. There are certain laws that you ought to keep. You ought to, uh, to obey certain things. And we should contribute. Listen, we should contribute. We should serve. We should not just take from our nation. We should... Give and be responsible and listen, as a church you also should, in a, in a church you should do your part. In a church, if this is a kingdom, then you have a responsibility to serve. If this is a kingdom, then you have a responsibility to submit to God's authority. If this is a kingdom, then you should contribute. If this is a kingdom, then you should give. You are, if, if, if in a kingdom, if you are called to battle, guess what? You're willing to go. If we're asked to represent God to the world, then we should willingly say yes. Why? Because we are no more citizens of this earth. We are no more just living on this planet. No, we live in light of God's kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We represent God to the world. We are the light of the world. And listen, this is a lifelong commitment to the kingdom. And before you think that church is the kind of thing that you can simply say, I will do on Sunday mornings... Understand that's not the level of God's commitment to you. He brought you into the kingdom. He made you a citizen. Fellow citizens. And there's no class distinction here, by the way. There's no racial or social caste system. We are in every way members of the kingdom like those who are natural born. And listen, though, if that's the standing that God allows you to have, he deserves lifelong commitment to his church. What Peter wrote... Here's how Peter wrote it. Don't, he basically, don't accept the privileges of citizenship... ...without submitting to the responsibilities of citizenship. Here's what Peter said. But ye are a chosen generation... ...a royal priesthood... ...an holy nation... ...a peculiar people... Well, you say, some of us... Yes, we definitely hold to the peculiar part there. Know that ye should show forth the praises of him... Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past you were not a people. Because remember Peter's not just writing to Jews. He's writing to those who have been brought in as Gentiles. He says which in time past you were not a people. But are now the people of God. He says which had not obtained mercy. But now have attained mercy. And he says this dearly beloved. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. And here's what Peter's saying. Is that you are no longer part of the Gentile kingdom. You no longer represent those idols you used to worship. You no longer represent the lifestyle that you used to worship. You represent God. He brought you into his nation. You're a holy nation. A peculiar people. You're not what you used to be. Therefore, he says, abstain From the lusts that represent the kingdom you came from. And embrace the holiness of the life that you now live under the rule of your king. Why? Because you don't represent that anymore. You represent him. He is your king. And your life should represent that. Listen, what he's saying, what Peter was saying, and what Paul is saying is you have received citizenship from the holy God of heaven. You're part of the kingdom. Live like it, he says. Represent him. You are light in darkness. You no longer represent the old life. But God intervened in your life. He saved you. Don't just embrace the benefits. Embrace the responsibilities of being a citizen of the kingdom. You have a responsibility. If you receive the benefits of citizenship, which are things like, oh, I don't know, eternal life fellowship with God, forgiveness of sin, (laughs) victory over sin, called by his name. You have God's provision, you have God's grace, you have God's love, you have God's mercy. He has given you a basket full of eternal commitment and all he asks from you is a lifelong commitment to represent his church. And before you think, "Boy, that's a lot." Just remember, God has given you so much. Through Jesus Christ, you have protection, you have providence, you have fellowship, you have a church, you have his word. Listen, the last the least that we should do is commit our lives to him as citizens of his kingdom. So why should you commit? Well, because this church represents God's kingdom. Second, because you've been welcomed, not just into the kingdom, you've been welcomed into the family. Verse 19, look what he says. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Listen, we've not just been made citizens. We've been brought into the house. To, to be a citizen is kind of impersonal, isn't it? I mean, think about it. If you're just a citizen, you almost can be like citizen number uh, 402 million. Well, that's not very personal. But it, I, I'm I, listen, I'm proud to be an American, but the president doesn't know me. I mean, even on a local level, uh, I love living in Sioux Falls. The mayor of Sioux Falls has no idea who I am. So let this be then a picture of then how, uh, th- that may be a picture of who we are and where we live. But when you get to becoming a part of God's household, that's a reflection of not just... ...where you live, but who you know. See, being part of God's household makes it much more personal. And as a member of a local church... ...then you're one of many millions in local churches all over the world... ...but to be part of a family means you're part of the few. Family members, they know each other. It's personal for them. There's knowledge. There's familiarity. Our responsibility comes from being citizens. But our identity, listen... ...our identity comes from being part of God's family... We've looked at this part already, but when you join a church, you get a family. You belong, you live life together when you hurt. A nation doesn't know that you're hurting, but a family does. Yet when a family gathers to worship, you're part of it. You're not just a number. When you go through a trial, you walk through it together. And when you talk, everyone has a voice. That's what being part of a family means. And understand, this is different than just attending church. I mean, this is different than just having a house in Estes Park. No, when, no, you may have a house in Estes Park, but if you actually go and live there and stay there, that's, that's the difference. It's not enough to have the house. Make use of it is what he's saying. Listen, being part of a family is not the same as having the same last name and showing up for Christmas. Being part of a family doesn't mean that you call every six months ...and catch up. No, being part of a family means that you live life together. And the, old, the culture's idea of commitment is, is affecting us... ...in that you know we think that commitment means I do it on my terms... ...but when you're part of a family, you don't just get to do it on your terms. There are times when you're inconvenienced. There are times when you're put out. But that's what being part of a family is. Uh, when you're part of a family, you do life together. You're there for the good. You're there for the bad. You're there for the ugly. Listen, the modern church idea is that you're there if it works for you. But that's not how family works. The the idea of family starts with this vow, till death do us part. When you got married, you said for better or for worse, and you hoped that it would all be for better, but there's that that category for worse. You didn't know what you were signing up for. You didn't know the the long nights. You didn't know the health issues. You didn't know the financial issues. You didn't know how hard it was going to be. You didn't know the difficulties. You didn't know the loss when you said for better or for worse. You didn't know the loss when you said till death do us part. And some of us have been there. Some of you have been there. But listen, just because it got hard, it doesn't mean that you tore up the marriage certificate. No, you said, no, I made a commitment here. And this is a worthy commitment. It's till death do us part. It's for better or for worse. Listen, that's God's idea of commitment. The culture says commit as long as it's convenient. God says commit because it's the right thing to do as a part of the family. Amen. He brought you in. Not just as a citizen with a number. No, he brought you in as a family member with a name. Modern church ideas, you're there if it works for you. But that's not God's idea of commitment. Commit because God's brought you into the kingdom. You represent him. And not just on Sundays, by the way. Second, commit because God has welcomed you into his his family. You've taken his name, your family. That means something. The third reason to commit is this. Commit to your local church because it's where God dwells. It's where God dwells. He says in verse 20. He says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I mean, this is incredible stuff. The third picture that Paul gives here is he talks about the temple where God manifests his presence. You see, God in the Old Testament dwelled in his holy temple. In the Old Testament, the Jews watched as Shekinah, glory, came down and filled the temple after they built it. There in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it was an unforgettable experience that you just couldn't get away from. It's not something that you saw and then you forgot about. I mean, there are some things that oversell and then when you see it, you're not, it's not quite as impressive. Like... The Corn Palace. (laughs) We came to South Dakota and people said, Oh, have you been to the Corn Palace yet? I was like, after I went, I said, um, Yes, I have. And I'm not sure that I ever have a reason to go back. If you're from Mitchell and that's your claim to fame, I'm sorry, but it's oversold. (laughs) If you've ever been to Wall Drug... I've seen wall drug signs. I was, I was on the moon once. It said wall drug. <laughs> you know, just that's many light years ahead. Went to wall drug and then, I mean, coffee is fine. It's fine. It's for, water. Is, there's, yeah, ice cream. But it, I could do all of those at 7-Eleven. So wasn't quite sure. No, there are some things that you get sold on and they say, here's what it's going to be like. And when you see it, you're like, oh, that was disappointing. Not the glory of God. Yeah, right. See, the glory of God, when Shekinah came down and he filled uh, the temple with his glory, uh, that was not something that you could forget. And, and I want you to understand, though, the glory of God in the Old Testament, the manifestation of God in the temple, that was where God dwelt. Well, now he's, he's picked a different place. And maybe I should say this, now he's p- picked a different organi- Organism. See, it used to be that he filled a building, a temple. Well, now, according to these verses here, he doesn't fill a building. He fills his people. So the Shekinah glory that God came down with and filled his temple with now, according to chapter 321, says to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So it used to be a building. Now it's People. See, the church, and by the way, the church, Eastside Baptist Church, is not this building. If this building burns down tomorrow and we have to meet somewhere else, Eastside Baptist Church still exists. Because Eastside Baptist Church is a group of people. It's an assembly of saved, baptized believers from all walks of life and background who gather to worship Christ and represent him to the world. That's a church. It's people. And according to verse 22, though, we are his habitation. This is where God the Spirit chooses to dwell. And if you've never thought of church as being important before, I don't know that I need to give you any bigger reason than this. That God dwells among his people. He reveals his glory in his church. And and he's given us the foundation of truth we see here through Jesus Christ. And he's given us this formation that we see all the building, he says fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. So we're founded on truth. We're founded on the the doctrine of the New Testament, the the apostles and the New Testament prophets, those early prophets that gave us God's word. That's what we're founded on. and And our chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And so, by the way, if you're trying to choose a church, okay, and you're trying to decide if you're going to commit... If that, church, um, if that church adds anything to salvation except for Jesus Christ, then you need to call the wedding planner and cancel the event. If that church also does not teach and preach and value the inspiration and preservation of God's word, which I believe that God's given us his word in this King James Bible, and I'm thankful for that, we have his inspired preserved word in this book right here. If you go to a church that makes you question that... ...call and cancel the tuxedo order. Because you cannot compromise... As a, ...if you're trying to find out where you're going to join a church... ...don't compromise on, on the role Jesus Christ plays in salvation... ...or the confidence they have in God's word. He talks about our foundation... ...is the truth of God in the Old Testament prophets... ...or sorry, the New Testament apostles and prophets... ...and also Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We have a solid foundation as a church. If you're going to join a church, make sure they've got a solid foundation. So the foundation of the church is Christ and truth... ...but the formation of the church is that the building is fitly framed together... ...growing unto an holy temple in the Lord... And, and so what does that mean? Well what he's saying is that every person in a local church is one brick. So Christ right here we have Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's right here. but we also then have a brick that was born in Liberia, Jala. And, and for his whole life, Jala most of his life raised over the overseas and and God was fashioning that brick. Cutting off, scraping off, chiseling off the rough edges so he would have a place to fit in the body. God brought Jala to the United States. And a few years ago, uh, I was able to, we were able to talk about in my office about Jesus Christ. He received Christ as his Savior. Got baptized. And you know what? God then took that brick. Jala. And he put him somewhere over here. So that's exactly where Jolly needs to fit. And then over here, somebody born in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, somebody's lived there, lived around here their whole lives. I'm Dennis Van Z. I Look back there. He's a South Dakotan through and through. Well, God knew where he'd be coming from and chiseled those rough edges. still chiseling, right, Brother Dennis? <laughs> Put him right here on this side. Jeremy Jacob. Came from a background none of us would predict. When he gets up to preach, it, it's hard for me to, to reconcile where Jeremy came from. His background. Amen. Drugs and all those things. And yet, you know, God uses him to bring the word here at Eastside. And I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And he's got 12 or 30 kids. <laughs> Can't remember how many. God's blessed his life. Chisel away the rough edges, put him right where he's supposed to be. But, you know, the interesting thing is bricks don't normally grow, but it says we're a building fitly framed together, growing as a holy temple. So we're not just bricks, we're like living bricks. That we grow and we we change shape, but we still have a part. Listen, you have a part to play. You have a part to play in the temple, this New Testament temple, where God dwells. And he wants you here... ...and he has a place for you here. You just have to figure out... ...where it is you're supposed to be... ...and how you're supposed to contribute. But one thing I know is... ...God's already figured out... He wants you ...where he wants you to be. He already is chiseling you. He's making you into a brick... ...that you're supposed to be fitly formed... ...and framed... ...and we're growing together. He's got a place for you. He has a role for you. And he wants you to contribute. And you have to simply decide... Am I in this as a dating Christian or am I married? How committed do I want to be? Because if you're a stone in the foundation of a, of a building and you decide you're, you want to be somewhere else, that building is going to be affected. You have to decide, hey, how committed am I going to be? Do I really want to embrace my role? And then as we grow together, the function then of this building, this temple, is that God dwells here. He meets with us. His presence is here. We just have to embrace the role and commit. As a lifelong commitment, we need to embrace our role as believers and say, I want to be part of something bigger than me. I want to embrace something more important than the things that I've been living for. But listen, the problem with mainstream view of church is it's like it's just something you do. It's something you attend. No, if this is your view, then you're settling for something inferior to what you could be enjoying You have a house in Estes, but you won't go. You have a a relationship, a marriage relationship that you just won't commit to. No, no. God has committed to us eternal blessings. He has committed to us eternal things, eternal gifts, things that last forever. And all he asks from us is to live a life for him, committed to his church. Church is not attendance, it's intimacy with Christ. Church isn't a social club. It's fellowship with your creator. Uh, church isn't, is not just here for casual purposes. No, you're here to meet with the holy God of heaven. That's why it deserves commitment. That's why it deserves a till death do us part kind of mindset because it's about meeting with God, not just meeting with your friends. So, church member, have you gotten into the habit, just an application? Have you gotten into the habit of just being, this is an opportunity? I'm just coming. Checking this off the list or have you realized when's the last time you recognize that you don't come to church to meet with your friends or check something off a list? You are coming because you are literally part of the building that God wants to meet his people in. And when you're not here, that's affected. If you're not a church member of all the things that you're currently committed to, can you think of any with a higher purpose than God's kingdom or God's family or God's dwelling place? I'd say likely not. So why not commit to something that matters that much? To the unsaved. You can't be part of the kingdom until you submit to Christ as your savior. And I would say that this morning, if you don't know that you're saved, that all you have to do is humble yourself and admit your sin and place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen, you may not believe this, but it's true. You can leave this place today knowing you're on your way to heaven if you just have the courage to step out we'd love to talk to you about that to those that are maybe church members but not contributing maybe you're enjoying the benefits of citizenship but are you contributing to the responsibilities that come along with it maybe you carry the name of god's household but you're not enjoying the fellowship or the relationship that comes with family i'll say it this way you're missing the best parts So why commit? Well, this represents God's kingdom. It's where he works. It's how he's going to reach our community. Uh, It's how he changes our lives. This is where the world sees the picture of Christ. Why commit? Because it's God's household. This is his family and he welcomes you in. Gives us the privileges that come with family. Why, Why commit? Because this is where God dwells. In the presence of his people. And if you need anything in your life, listen, you need the presence of God. Listen, that level of God's commitment to up to us, his kingdom, his household, his dwelling place deserves a lifelong commitment from me to him. God committed wonderful things to us, eternal things. Therefore, he deserves lifelong commitment from us. So my question this morning is simply this on a scale of one to 10. How committed are you to that which God has committed to you? He offers eternal benefits and asks for lifelong commitment. And before you think that's too much, just think about heaven. Before you think that's too much, just think about hell. Before you think that's too much, just consider that Christ himself, as we heard in the song, he satisfied the wrath of God instead of making us do it. Don't miss all you could enjoy By settling for attendance. Refuse to have an inadequate view of the local church. There's a whole lot to enjoy. If you'll realize that this place represents his kingdom. It represents his household. And it represents his dwelling place. Listen, if you have no other reason to elevate your commitment level. Those are three excellent reasons. To say, I need to take some steps in my commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. We'll have a verse of invitation here. We'll have the piano play this morning. I would just ask you to commit or to consider your commitment level. Eastside members, what's your expectation of Eastside Baptist Church? Is it something that you simply attend? Or is it something that you're committed to? Have you gotten to the place where you just check it off the list on Sundays? Or is it something that you come expecting to meet with God? Because that's what we're doing. To those that may not be members, if you'd like to visit about that, we'd love to, we've got a new members class coming up. I encourage you to sign up on that. We'll start that in a couple weeks. I wanna encourage you, if you'd like to to talk about it, let me know, we'll visit with you about it maybe so you can have a place in something that that matters more than the things that you're committed to now. And then to those that may... Um, be members but you're maybe you're just in the habits you're just going through the motions man just remember we're meeting with god to the unsaved i want to encourage you to take a step this morning if you don't know that you're saved maybe be willing to step out and place your faith in jesus christ and be reconciled to god through the cross and the blood of jesus christ Boy, there's nothing better than that i think all of us this morning if we would just simply elevate our view of the church and we would realize there are some things we could change to be more committed to this important thing that God has given us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the, the word. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to respond to it. I know there's a lot of mindsets here, but there are some practical decisions to be made regarding these. And I pray that you give us the courage to step out. If there's anyone here this morning that isn't saved, would you give them the courage to come and we, we can visit about their salvation, Lord. And if there's anyone here that needs to consider joining, I pray that you give them the courage to, to start that conversation. If there's a church member that's gotten used to just checking it off the list, I pray that you'd help us then to reevaluate our commitment to meeting with you and not just attending a service. God, help us all apply it where we are in Jesus' name. Amen.